Lonely Monk Productions. I don't know if y'all have watched the first two episodes of Obi-Wan Kenobi yet, but yo! That's my joy! joy. What's good, friends and family, neighbors, near and far? Welcome to an all-new episode of the Yo, That's My John podcast. The podcast, website, brand, movement, way of life, dedicated to the embrace and championing of your passions. I am your host, Nate Runkle, a.k.a. John Carter of Mars, a.k.a. John Hannibal Smith. (laughs) I love it when a plan comes together. A.k.a. the guy who keeps saying, I just can't help myself. This is so good. Every time he returns to the serving table, for another scoop of potato salad at the cookout, whether it is good or not, aka Nate 3.0, back at it again with yet another episode of the podcast. As always, I hope this podcast finds you all in good health and in good spirits. On today's episode, I have an epic chat with singer-songwriter Jason Ager. It's a great conversation, and we totally lost track of time, so I don't want to waste too much time before getting into the interview. But first, don't forget to check out www.yothatsmyjohn.com for links to every episode of this podcast, as well as some articles I have written in the past and some mixtapes and playlists for your listening pleasure. You can also find links to our merchandise store where we have a variety of t-shirts available. So why don't you treat yourself and snag one of those? You deserve it! Also, if you are not already, make sure to follow us on all of the socials. Facebook.com slash Yo That's My John or at Yo That's My John on Instagram and Twitter. As a matter of fact, if you hop on the Facebook page, you can find a recording of the Tex-Mex show that I just performed on Saturday with season one guest Scott Miller. It was a rollicking good time. And of course, please make sure that you are subscribed to this podcast wherever you get your podcast from. We have so many cool guests lined up this summer and beyond, and I don't want you to miss out on a single one of them. So hit us with that hot subscribe, yo, and be sure to get these episodes delivered to you every other week. And you know, if you want to be a pal, it would be super swell if you rated and reviewed us on Apple Podcast. As always, five stars would be the coolest, but I'll take whatever you have to offer. Don't lie on my behalf. I don't want you to perjure yourself in the eyes of the Apple Podcast review base. I value your integrity. Okay, enough of all that. Let's get on with the show. My guest today is a singer, songwriter who has made a name for himself playing more than 100 shows a year up and down the mid-Atlantic region and beyond. Known for his dense lyricism and storytelling prowess, my guest has weaved his influences into a beautiful potpourri of rock, soul, hip-hop, and R&B. And did I mention he has his PhD in German literature? His latest single, Imposter Looks at 40, beautifully tells the familiar tale of a man measuring his life against that of a seemingly more successful classmate from high school on the cusp of middle age. And that song finds him playing all of the instrumentation on the track, including the guitar, the harmonica, the accordion, and the tuba. Folks, it is my honor to welcome to the show, Jason Ager. Ladies and gentlemen, I am joined today by the great Jason Agar. Jason, thank you for joining me here today on Yo, That's My John. Oh, man, I'm so glad to be here. 
So um, I like to kind of uh, just open with a little touching base. And one of the things is um, I was immediately drawn uh, and wanted to do this conversation because we uh, we have John in common. Uh, oh, we'll yeah. just we'll just put it out there. Um, many, many songs of yours um, have John on them. You know, Zombie John and Google yeah, John man. and Fish and John. Um, what's a, why don't you tell these five people just a little bit of the love of your your love of the word John? So, I mean, I guess growing up, like my brother used to tell me all the time, like he was a little, he was older than me and he used to talk, you know, about, about, you know, the way that we talk in the area that we're from. And, and so anything he said, man, I thought was cool. You know what I mean? Except for Rush. I was never into Rush. No? And he like loved Rush. And I just, I couldn't figure that out. <laughs> you know, it was like, it was like too much nerd rock for me at one time. I mean, I appreciate like the hits and stuff, but, but like he would like rock the rush album was like in his room all the time. And I was like, Ooh, I don't know if I can do that. But anyways, long story short, he would like talk about, you know, the, you know, the word John all the time. And, and we used to like, you know, laugh cause he would tell me stories about his buddies who like worked at the Philly airport and, you know, they'd be like first day on a job and the guy was giving him like a training and he's like, Oh, it's easy. You want to fill up the, 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 the plane with fuel. We just take the chump and you stick it in the John and you're good to go. And he was like, what, <laughs> you know, it's so like, Ever since that story, I think like I just love the word John. And then when I, I lived in Europe for a while, and uh, I I got to really appreciate um, like regional dialects. You know, like over here, like we don't have dialects per se because a dialect requires like multiple different things. Like you have to have lexical changes, which are like you know words need to change, as well as pronunciation, as well as um, grammar. So we have more regional accents. We don't have much that qualifies for dialect, except for certain things like in this area, like we say the word John. But, you know, so that's like a, a specific thing that we do that, that would almost qualify for like dialectic changes. So like when I was learning, you know, in living in, in Austria, I was learning German and like I was learning the local regional dialects. So I was learning these words that have no other, you know, qualifications outside of like a you know 20 square kilometer area and it just made me appreciate and love the fact that philadelphia has that you know we we have that you know in our built into our 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 you know our makeup you know being in the area you know and i don't care if you're a transplant to philly or if you're born and bred like just you know you gotta embrace it you know what i mean so i just i i try to instill it in my kids and, you know, I, I try to, you know, make sure I, you know, pronounce things the way they're supposed to be pronounced, despite living in South Jersey these days. And there's a whole <laughs> other thing down here. But, but um, yeah, so I, I, I think that's where it all comes from, man. Like, thinking that my brother was the coolest thing in the world, and I still do. And, um, you know, just starting to appreciate regional dialect, you know. And, and, and as close as we get to it as Americans, you know, this is it, you know. Yeah, that you know, I went to I went to school in uh, Western PA um, college, okay. and like um, you know, they they have a lot, you know, like yins uh, is yeah. is a big Pittsburgh kind of specific, and 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 for it, Manny Brothers and whatnot, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So you know, yeah. um, but like I've researched the use of the word yins, and like it follows the Appalachian Mountains and the uh, oh, yeah. Scots Irish and whatnot, um, kind yeah. of bridging their own you know uh lexicon there but um yeah, it's 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 really awesome do you have any opinions uh we've we've now i think talked about it in two podcasts or something like that have you seen the i am john morgan uh yeah um the worst right <laughs> uh, you know what like i embrace 
the fact that he's trying to identify with a certain demographic, you know, in, in the city, and 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 I, I love the fact that he's trying to, you know, you know, rep his his Philadelphia roots, perhaps. But like the thing that bothers me the most, like first of all, John is never somebody's name. You know right. what I mean? Like, yeah. And in my use of it and understanding of the word and its myriad possibilities, right? It's never like you never refer to somebody as John. Like that's just like that's just wrong. And you know, like so like it's it's more of like my issue with that is like not it's a little bit cheesy, but it's more like the issue that it's not being used correctly. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he should yeah. know better, right? If he's really from Philly, he should know better than to do that. But you know, like it, there could be a different way around that. Like I'm John Morgan, I got you, John. You know, like that yeah, would work. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, but doing the, you know, I'm John Morgan, it just doesn't work for me. You know, uh-huh. so it's yeah. almost like it's here's what it's like. It's like almost like if he was like a transplant in New York, right, and wanted to still like identify as like a Philly guy, and then was like I'm John Morgan. That would make more sense to me because yeah, can- he's advertising in a different market. But he lives in Philly and is advertising to Philly people. I can't be the only one who feels like this. I know. I guess you're the same way, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> it's it's been a much like eye rolling debate. Like I, I I I half jokingly was like, oh no, maybe it's time to change the name of the podcast. It's, I saw that. It's, man. I was checking out your uh, your uh, wall there, and I was loving a lot of stuff on there, man. You were cracking me up with some things. Oh, well, thank you, thank you so much. Uh, well, you know, tell tell these folks a little bit about yourself. Like, uh, where did you grow up? So I grew up um, kind of like the Northeast um, Philly area, right on the kind of the borderline between like Huntington Valley and and um, and the Northeast, like uh, Red Line Road and and that area. Um, so like you know at that like in that area we like identify. I mean, I guess it's kind of throughout the city we identify with like the parish that we belong to. You know, like very heavily Catholic city kind of thing. And um, so I, I grew up and then I went to school in Philly. Um, you know, um, and then I left for a period, like a long period of time. You know, I was uh, in D.C. and Baltimore and over in, in Austria, in Europe. Um, and now I'm in South Jersey. So um, not too far away, but uh, it's never as close as where I, you know, I grew up, like right on the border. Yeah. So, you, uh, you you said you had a brother. Any other siblings? Just Yeah, I'm one of seven, actually. Oh, I'm wow. Young, youngest of seven. Yeah. Um, and my dad and his family, they were born down in the Grays Ferry. So like he was he was actually born like in, you know in a chair because he's older like he was born like in a chair that every one of his siblings were born in and like I'm like wait you mean like a, a chair at a hospital no like a chair in this house in a row home on Gray's Avenue you know, like <laughs> Gray's Ferry right that that area wow so like it's it's nuts yeah so we, like, we go way back um, in in like the Southwest Philly area um, and then and then he moved out to the to the suburbs but but um actually to like kind of like farm country area and then eventually came back to the northeast area but yeah so i'm, I'm the youngest of seven it's a, youngest it's a okay family. yeah I'm, I'm the baby by like 13 years wow. so that brother i was talking about he's about 13 years older than me okay okay when uh so when you're like growing up like what 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 did your parents listen to what, what were your folks music kind of output like so it was funny like my 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 parents because they're older like my dad's 91 right now and my mom's 80 she'll be turning 81 so she grew up um you know listening to or you know they grew up i guess listening to like the, like you know glenn campbell and 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 you know um tommy dorsey and you know all the great jazz players and you know, ben, benny goodman all that kind of stuff so like we always had a great appreciation of jazz around the house 
um, and like and and not necessarily jazz, like 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 the, the instrumental stuff, but more like the the kind of standards like the ones that would be sung like gershwin stuff like that kind of thing um and uh you know so i had that going on um you know at home and my 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 dad was always like really supportive of music and my mom too you know they both like dabbled in music here and there um my dad was really into country music for a long time because his uncle um was a guy named dick thomas who wrote the the song sioux city sioux and that's been covered by like willie nelson and you name it it's been covered by a ton of people so that that's like my distant cousins and um so there's always like a little bit of country around too you know and and him trying to get me to appreciate like eddie arnold and and johnny cash and stuff and like when i was younger i didn't i didn't have any time for that you know um but, you know, as I've gotten older, I started to appreciate what he was trying to show me, you know, storytelling and that kind of thing. But it was funny when we would like go on like car trips, like and my dad loved to drive. So we were always driving and um, like we identified like we could, like I didn't want to listen to his like old fogey kind of stuff. And he didn't want to listen to like, you know, Metallica and stuff that I wanted to listen to, like, you know, or, like Alice in Chains, like, you know, in the 90s, you know. So like we kind of like figured it out together. Like we got together over over Credence. Yeah. Yeah, it's like it's like like a like episode from the Big Lebowski. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it, we had credence tapes. He and I, we would like I would like make tapes like back in the day. You know, like people make tapes. Like I had like a credence tape, and eventually like it let, let us into like the Beatles. Like we listened to Beatles together, and like you know, like we would listen to others like of that '60s era because like his other kids were all kind of they went they were born in the '50s and '60s. So like, you know, he was. He he kind of knew it from hearing it from like their rooms, you know. <laughs> yeah, but we, yeah. we really we really connected over Creedence, man. It's it's a funny kind of thing, but yeah, he he uh, he shares my love of, of Creedence Clearwater Revival. That's incredible. Um, so what other like so youngest of of seven? What about the older siblings? What were they kind of filtering in your ears? Oh man, like this, they would talk about. Like they were, you know, they were kind of more like the flower children generation. A little bit, a little bit after that, I guess. Like you know, mostly in the seventies. Like uh, they were into like Cat Stevens, and like the singer songwriters kind of of that era. You know, Jim Croce and that crowd. And I was like, yeah, okay, I get, I can get this. You know what I mean? Like that was like my my entry into like the songwriter world. You know, um, and then my my youngest where the brother was closest to me, he like I would just go in his room and like steal his records. Not the rush, but everything else. Like I would just borrow his records. So like I listened to like Jethro Tull for the first time because I borrowed his like greatest hits C D he had. Like he had all the vinyl. But after a while we like didn't have needles for the record player downstairs. Mm-hmm. And I still had my record player that I I had like, you know, I had like I had like a seven inch of the uh, of YMCA man by the village people and I, was like, I used to jam that when I was like five man I dug it but um so like I would like borrow his CDs like that had already been like you know processed so like you know I remember the one CD that that I kind of kept stealing from him was uh, Full Moon Fever by Tom Petty you know oh man that record and it was so cool right because in that time when it was still like tapes were still going on and and you had vinyl still happening, and in the middle of that record, if you listen to it on CD, if you if you ever get a hold of the ones from like the actual, you know, '80s, like when they first came out, the CDs, early '90s, right in the middle of the CD, he stops the record. He's like, "Now we're going to take a minute for our record and tape players to flip the tape over." <laughs> I'm like, 
this is the weirdest thing. Like, he actually kept it on the record, like, or put it on the CD. And it's just like Tom Petty's voice. And like 10 seconds go by, and then song number nine starts or whatever. Like, it's just like a, it's a weird, quink, quirky little thing that I like always loved. And I, I, I mean, I'm a big, so he, he got me into Tom Petty. You know what I mean? So it's, it's funny. Like, you know, I guess I picked up a lot of music from my siblings. They, 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 they played stuff, you know, or, or talked about things. And, and, um, you know, they still they still come see me play when they can and uh you know and they we talk about music all the time um my brother-in-law for example is a huge bob dylan fan and um we talk about like dylan and springsteen because he tells me stories like him seeing springsteen when it was like in this tiny little club like out in the main line and he was playing like 30 people you know oh, like it was man. like nuts like how much would you pay to see that show right like, before it all before it all you know happened for him you know, struggling artist kind of era, but yeah. So like, so yeah, music's always kind of been around. You know, I think that's probably the case for a lot of artists. You know, like you know, like you're kind of bred and into this environment that that allows you to kind of express yourself at some point, hopefully. Yeah. What? What? Um. Can you pinpoint like uh, when you started to find like your own thing that was kind of independent of them? Like the first thing that kind of you know that you know that stuff kind of built towards but like yeah. you know the first thing that you were like oh this is inherently mine like this is nobody yeah. else's the stuff that they didn't listen to yeah yeah um i think it was probably it was definitely like in i guess it was probably early in uh, yeah like early in the era of like cds when like like uh live remember that album throwing copper yeah, they were, they were a PA band, right from like York, and like when that record came out, it was like I was probably in like sixth grade, seventh grade, something like that. Maybe maybe a little later. It was like eighth grade, and I remember like that was one of the CDs. Like, oh man, I really wanted to have that CD. So that was one of the ones like I really dug, and like the band, the, the Presidents of the United States of America. Remember that they had a couple like big hits. I really liked them, like because they were like just doing something totally different. You know, it wasn't like it wasn't as heavy as like what Nirvana was doing. Uh, you know, and like kind of my entry into that world had to be a little more gradual because I was coming from this, you know, let's appreciate jazz at home right? You know, kind of thing. So like, you know, my dad would tolerate it so much. I wasn't allowed to watch MTV at all. So I would go yeah. to my grandparents' house while they were at work and I would sit there and watch like MTV. I was like glued to it, man. Like, you know, I loved it. I, I mean, and if anything, like I've always loved like the entertaining aspect of like music, right? Not just the, not just the musical side of it, but like the the storytelling, both visual and and like you know lyrical as well as melodical or, or, or melodic, I should say. Um, so like it's just like that kind of always kind of got me excited. So like I think that was my you know the, the 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 music video thing was more like that was my my thing, right? Yeah, I wasn't allowed to watch that at home. You know that we talk about that at school together. Like you know, oh, did you see that video for this, that, and the other? Like oh man, it blew me away. You know, like the first time you see like Paranoid Android, that video for like OK Computer, right? Like just, it's just totally out there, right? Animated the way it is and everything. Just loved it. so much that stuff like that, that would be on, you know, like MTV in the early, I guess late 80s, early 90s. It was like, man, this is, this is my stuff, you know? And I still, I still look very nostalgically at that era of like music video. Today's music yeah. video is interesting in its own right, especially with like, you know, Childish Gambino and, and Kendrick Lamar and all that stuff. And I totally appreciate them. But there was something about that early 90s, late 80s 
music video where it was like a new art form. You know what I mean? And like people like Tom Petty and 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 others were like dabbling into that world. And like, that's just that was it for me. Like that was like, oh man, I want to do music and make cool art that goes along with the music and like that was oh i want to do that you know (laughs) yeah it was like um it's it's an awesome period um that that kind of late 80s early 90s period because like it's now um a bunch of people who have witnessed what works on mtv and stuff like that and now it's like okay we understand what it can be now let's push it and like like you said like a lot of that stuff from that time are like small art films like they're just really brilliant and you know like someone like david fincher that's that's where he started you know and you know all those guys uh mark romanek and yeah oh my god i i do i miss like i really miss the music video i mean you know people still release them but it's just it doesn't have like the it doesn't feel like it has the cultural impact like it used to no, like I remember seeing like the like the 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 what's the um living on the edge video by Aerosmith. Remember he comes in, he's like painted like half, half. Like, like 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 black, so you couldn't see his body. The other half's like like his normal like skin color, and like he's standing there naked, like holding his junk. Like it's like it's like a it's a really bizarre like image, you know? It's like wow, you know? And then he starts like singing to the track. It was like and you know I forget who was that actor that was in there. It was the guy from the. Um, from uh, the Terminator film, the second Terminator film, remember? Oh, like, yeah, That yeah. young child actor. Yeah, Eddie Furlong. Yeah, Eddie Furlong. That's <laughs> it, man. Nice, dude. That's, <laughs> look at that. These, these are the things that live in my brain. They just <laughs> rattle around, right? Oh, man. But yeah, no, it's like I remember seeing that record, like, or that, that CD and being like, oh, my God, I got to go get the record. And then like once you got the record, it was like, wow, like this was a fantastic record. I still love that record. Get a Grip is like probably one of the best Aerosmith albums all time of all time, my personal opinion. With Amazing being the you know quintessential song on that record for me, anyways. Um, not to say there aren't other great songs there, but that was like this. Oh, and like so much of that era was like putting these singles out with the videos and everything. And and I do I I, I feel nostalgic for that era because. Nowadays it's too like easy to be distracted by all like the, the 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 YouTube videos for like everybody's got a video for everything now and and I I try to make them too you know like I make lyric videos and this that and the other and you know try to put the word out about the music that way but there's something about like having an actual produced you know and people still do them but it's like it, it's harder to get a hold of them you know yeah you know yeah there's no yeah. one there's no one place that we all go you know to find it in my opinion anyways. You know, and it's like, and then you have like the TikTok thing, which like I'm still trying to rack my brain around. It's like I don't understand it because it's only like 30 seconds or less. So, what are you like? You know, and I see like artists, musicians, like on there, thinking to myself like, how how deep can you really dig in in that much time? Like, you know, or how does that even work? You know, I'm not that I'm saying I won't do it at some point, but like, it's it's it. I'm slow to these things at times because it takes me time to wrap my brain around what is it that I'm trying to do here. You know. Yeah. And yeah. So I guess I just I love that era, man. And that was like the thing that I brought home. That was like, oh, this is mine. You know? That was it. Yeah. When yeah. when did you start? Um. When did you start writing music? Like when did you start? Did you uh, play uh, music in school at all? Or yeah, yeah. I was. Um. My mom made me take piano lessons. Uh, starting at eight. So I took from piano lessons about ten years, and I think. You know, I would like write songs around the house, just like putting my own words to like existing songs, you know what I yeah. mean? Kind of like a weird Al Yankovic kind of thing. Yep. 
Um, you know, so like I was always writing stuff in my mind, but I didn't, I didn't take it seriously enough until I was probably, you know, like a freshman in high school. My dad got me a guitar when I was 14 and like that just opened up, you know, Pandora's box in terms of like what's happening musically. You know, I think he thought I was going to play like, you know, country songs and Eddie Eddie Arnold and, you know, the the, the crowd, you know, (laughs) Willie Nelson songs. And, you know, I love that stuff. Don't get me wrong, but you know, I wanted to play, you know, metal and, and, you know, and, and punk music and this, you know, like I, I wanted to dabble in that world, you know? So then I, I in high school, I, I was given a trombone cause they had like a million piano players. Everybody played piano. Like we don't need any more piano players. We had this really great virtuoso kid who's now like, you know, he went to Peabody. He plays like organ around the world, you know, for like different things. He was like my classmate. So I'm like, I guess I'm not playing piano. So they gave me a, a trombone. I sucked at that. And then eventually they needed somebody to play the tuba for um graduation when i was a freshman they were like oh we need the band to play the tuba two players graduating here just you'll figure it out it gave me a tube like a week and a week and a half in advance or something like that two weeks i was like we're gonna practice up these songs and like it made sense to me it clicked so i played tuba for um eight years in, in high well high school and then in college in like the the jazz band in college so um and then I try to use it in my own music now too. So like that gave me the base of like understanding, you know, you know, chord structures and things like that. But in terms of writing like original songs, I, I guess I probably was 15 or, or, or 16 when I really started to like dig into that world of being like, wow, I want to try to say something here. And initially it wasn't, it wasn't anything that was, you know, worth, worth saying, you know, um, some artists like come out with that age and they can just figure it out, right? Like they know at 18 that they're going to say something profound. I think I'm just now saying for something profound, you know, and I've yeah. got like 20 years on that, you know? So like, you know, I, I'm like the quintessential late bloomer, you know, I just, I, it takes me time to figure out what I'm trying to get out, you know, that and I'm easily distracted. So like trying to write a song takes me like six months. You know, and when they do come out quick, it's like those are the good, you know, great ones, I think. But at times they still need, you know, revision. They need that time for me anyways. I need time. So I guess like 15, 16, somewhere in there, I started putting together like crappy, like wannabe hard rock songs. You know? Yeah. Like a little bit, of, you know, Alice in Chains mixed with like a little bit of Leonard Skinner. You know, it was like Southern rock, hard rock, you know, kind of thing. And, uh. Yeah, that was not really great, you know. <laughs> but then I discovered G Love, man. Believe it or not. Oh yeah. When I discovered G Love, it was like, holy god, who is this dude? And like finding out he's like a Philly guy, it was like, oh my god, this this guy opened a whole new world of like what music could be like, you know. And it had, doesn't be super processed or anything; it'd be just raw, you know. And I love that about his records. Like, and I like he's one of those artists, right? Like, I think you're gonna ask these questions later, but. He's one of those artists that whatever they put out, I'm consuming it in some way, shape, or form. Even if it's not like super well received by the, you know the critics or whatever, like I'm buying that record, I'm rocking those songs because they they just said something to me. Yeah, it was you know it was really great to be able to uh, tell him like that. It was the same way for me. Like I loved hip hop. And I loved rock music. And like, I never thought I could do hip hop because like, I didn't have a DJ. I didn't know how to make beats and stuff like that. 
and then G Love hits, and I'm like, oh my god, he's doing like I can play guitar, I can rap, like whole oh, this is ex- I can do it. Like it was like it was like per- a permission slip to like you know merge the two worlds that I've you know been sticking my toe in for so long. It was like yeah. a whole awakening, man. Like it was crazy. Yeah, that whole rap and blues thing. Like ah, oh, just yeah. He 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 blows my mind to this day. You know, some of his records are like still on repeat. You know, in my in my you know my house and whatever else and trying to show my kids like yo this is g love right now kind of thing and um yeah yeah so like that like that guess like about 18 i started like hearing that and i was 17 18 i was like man that's what i want to write like yeah it brought together all the elements like there's a little bit of like a like a rock edge to some of his stuff at times and then there's like this old school thing right like 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 the you know, crafting songs like you know, like there's a little bit of jazz, a little bit of blues, a little bit of country, all kind of mixed in. Like he just he brought a, a lot of things together for me, and I think I tried to emulate him, you know, a lot, you know, um, in my my music at that era. Like when I was in late high school and college, you know, like I was playing, you know, Philly clubs, underage, you know, that kind of thing, and and trying to to kind of cut my teeth in the same kind of way, and um, writing songs that were similar um in my you know in my own vein but but you know definitely definitely with the rapping and the and the kind of you know a lot of lyrics and you know i've since gotten away from that a little bit um just because it took me way too long to write a song. Like, <laughs> yeah. i don't know how he does it. like he can just come up with stuff and be like here's the whole song like or like the freestyle thing i like i'm like the opposite way like, i need to write every single word out every syllable needs to be like crafted you know um, I mean, people have described my songs as like novels, you know, because like there's just so many lyrics in it, but it, they're like dense, you know. So like Hell I have to like yeah. think about it in different ways, you know, and and that's kind of eventually what pushed me away from doing, you know, a lot of like the the rap and blues stuff. But I still have like this deep love for what he does, you know. And um, yeah, I think he still influences me, whether I whether I know it or not, you know, and and. uh you know, like then he would like play with like artists that, like that that I got into later, like the Avet Brothers. Like he did that record with the Avet Brothers. Like it just that yeah. was really cool to see him kind of like bringing that that connection together. Because I I've seen the Avets multiple times. You know, and it just blew me away too, in a different way. Um, yeah, hearing yeah. hearing him like kind of record in that natural raw Avet sound was like something i had been like i'd been wanting for so long yeah. and i'm so happy with that album like it's yeah. so good well he had that one out like with the coast to coast motel i kind of had that similar vibe but it was definitely yeah. more or at least the sound quality was kind of similar it was definitely like you know lo-fi you know in mm-hmm. many ways um but it different didn't have the kind of same acoustic you know kind of right. uh, feel as fixing to die did and i i thought fixing that was great um, I only wish there were a couple more original songs on that record, you know, because a yeah. bunch of those songs are covers on there, you know, and, and that made sense, you know, especially for like someone trying to, you know, dip their toe into like traditional music in that regard, um, you know, but I, I like the, the original ones on that record, like the, the milk and sugar one. That, oh, that, God, yeah. song, like, oh, I still rock that one all the time. My wife and I always crack up about it. I like, love that song, you know. 
I, I always laugh. So right after that album came out, I, this became uh, this, the second part of the G Love episode. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the uh, sorry, <laughs> no, it's uh, <laughs> you don't have to apologize to me, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but uh, right after that, those sessions, he did these like four songs um, that he recorded. Um, they're up on YouTube, um, and and some of them, uh, one of some of them, I think, are on the Bloodshot and Blue, right, um, record store day release. But there's one song um, that is titled "Don't Look Back," that okay. um, is absolutely phenomenal. I think it's the best thing he ever wrote, and he never recorded it. And uh, I went to a show one time, uh, and we were at like the pre-show pop-up, and he's doing like requests, and I'm like, uh, "Don't look back, no regrets." And he was like, oh, I don't remember it. And I was like, no, this is my chance. <laughs> but yeah, any chance I get, I like to tell him someday record that song because it's absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. Um, but rewinding back to, uh, sorry, <laughs> back to high school and back to you. You're the guest. Yeah. Forget G Love, man. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so it's it's funny um, that you said that they just handed you a tuba because the exact same thing happened to me with um, Baritone. Um, there you go. I, I went uh, to marching band because my friends were in marching band. They were like, I don't know. They'll give you a cymbal or something. And they were like, <laughs> do you play instruments? I was like, ah, I used to play trumpet a little in elementary school. And they were like, here's this giant horn. Learn it. And I was like, what the, f <laughs> you know, but, um, but uh, so, so, you know, you're, you, you're at playing tuba, you're playing piano, you're playing guitar and you can go to college. Where did you go to college? I, in the in city, uh, LaSalle yeah. University. Oh, okay. Um, which, um, and, and not to, I'm jumping all over the place here, um, but to let the listeners know, um, you are my second doctor um, on here um, because you <laughs> have a PhD in German lit. Um, I do, yeah. Um, was, was your major English in? Uh, English and German, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, somebody grabbed me outside of uh, uh, the library. I was coming out of the library. Uh, and they were like, hey, you take German, don't you? One of the professors was like, you take German, don't you? And I was like, yeah, actually I did. And he's like, come see me. I got an idea. And I was like, okay, I'll go see what it's about. You know, as a respected professor. And then he like, like, he's like, hey, I have this this author I encountered. And here's here's a novel that he wrote, like, you know, this Austrian guy. And he's like, why don't you just, you know, look into this and see if it's something that like, you know, sparks your interest and Let's talk. And so, like, it, it developed into a Fulbright. So that's what brought me over to Europe. Okay. So I, I, I won a Fulbright fellowship to go study in, in Austria because of this, like, professor who, like, reached out to me and was like, hey, you speak German. I'm like, oh, yeah, kind of, yeah. Um, and it just kind of blossomed from there. And then, like, it was one of those situations where I just – I didn't know how to, like, turn it off. You know what I mean? Like, it's probably one of those – I'm a loomer. I like, didn't know what I wanted to do with myself, you know? So I was like, you know, I want to follow this to its logical conclusion. You know, like yeah. I, 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 I spent the time learning the language. What do you do with that? Well, you could teach high school, or you know, or find a German company to work for. I was like, eh, it wasn't really my thing. So I was like, you know, I, I really looked up to these professors that I had met, you know, in my undergrad experience. Like that would, that's the job I want to do. You know, and then the way to do that is get is get the doctorate degree. So I, I you know, I pursued that angle and uh wound up doing my PhD down in DC at Georgetown. And um it just uh you know, it led me for the past, you know, fifteen, twenty years, like that was my journey, you know. And including now, like I'm still teaching, you know, um college classes, although I'm kinda hoping to trans transition into the different um kind of line of work 
because academia is a is a weird animal especially these days you know with like universities closing up shop and yeah and uh you know the lack of tenure positions and adjunct professors you know doing all this labor and i'm you know i hate to say it but it's god's honest truth you know i never try to hide my failures you know because they're they can be instructive um you know i'm still adjuncting you know and it's you know i haven't been able to teach german in a couple of years because the, the universities that i work at decided that it would be a good idea to kill off their foreign language programs so, you know, here I am with a foreign language degree, you know, one of the highest you can earn, I arguably, you know, you know, a doctorate in a foreign language and very little opportunity to use it. So I'm kind of trying to figure out, you know, different, different strategies and approaches. You know, I always think about that Boz Lerman song. Remember, he's like, you know, the most interesting people I know at 40 don't know what they're going to do with their lives, right? I'm like, yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm in that category. <laughs> It's so true. Uh, I that uh, they played that song on XPN recently. And, oh, really? <laughs> and 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 it was like the first time I had heard it, like since it came out, probably right. or around that time. And like listening to it now as an adult, I was like, "Oh, fuck! It's all there. Like right? it's, yeah. it, it is all Cross me there." Me on the sunscreen, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. Right? It's all there. Like right? it was a roadmap, yeah. and I was just like, "This dumb song," you know? Right? Exactly. Yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know what to do with it. But like thinking back about like that one line stuck with me. Like the most interesting people I know at forty don't know what they want to do. It was like something like that. Some line in there. And I was like, oh, God, here I am. You know, like, yeah, I'm trying to figure it out. You know what I mean? And, and maybe that's a beautiful thing in the long run, you know, um, you know, trying to figure it out. Right. That's the thing. Maybe not being, you know, trying to say you got to figure it out and then you're miserable, you know, for right. a long period of time. Maybe maybe the, the thing is trying to figure it out. You know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm I, when I figure it out. I will yeah. give you a call, man. We can do this conversation again. <laughs> Look, I, I, I don't, I don't have it all figured out, but, and, and I say this as someone just a few years older than you. So, you know, um, and that is that um, I have found, and this is just for myself that I, I, I feel like I most have it figured out when I just stay true to myself. Like anytime I've ever strayed from who I am at my core, that's when like, all hell breaks loose. That's, right, that's, right. And that's where the unhappiness comes from. But as long as I just kind of stay that path, like it may not be um, as successful as I want it to be, you know, right. or it yeah. may not, but, yeah. but it is, it, it, it keeps me focused. You know what I mean? Like, uh, it's kind of how this all came about, you know? Hey, and I, I think this is great, man. I'm in, I'm like I said, I was checking out the, the Twitter and seeing who he had on. I was like, man, this is awesome. Yeah. Um, so when did you, when did you start kind of like playing out, like focusing on playing out? Like when were you comfortable with your songwriting to kind of yeah. start? I guess it was when I was in, like I said, I was in college playing these clubs. Like I, I remember at that time, you, I, you probably remember they had Y100 or whatever. That was like the, yeah. the station, right. And, um, between them and MMR, they had like that Tuesday night music club at, at the Grave Street. Um, the original location, yeah, you know, Maniunk, and I, I was like, ooh, I want to play that really bad. So like, I just started trying to, you know, we played wherever we could at like different local colleges, and then eventually, like, just called up. I think it was, I don't know if it was Wild One Hundred at that point or if it was MMR. One of them like took it over, like from the other. Probably MMR took it over at one point, and they were having like you know these like Tuesday night music club, and I was like, oh, dude, did my damnedest to get on there, and you know we did, and it was like. It was like the coolest thing, you know. We were on like, like twenty years old. We weren't supposed to be in the club, playing these like, you know, playing to you know, 
a bunch of people like from you know the college who you know came out the show. It was great. So like that's when I started building up like the confidence to do it is is being like, okay, maybe I have something people want to hear. You know, um, you know, before it was always like, you know, you're playing for your college function, you know, whatever. It, right. You know, I always believed in what I had to offer was was solid and was good, but it sometimes takes a little bit of external validation, you know, like a third party perspective to give you the 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 go ahead, you know, or the confidence to go ahead. And um that was what it was. Like the that that like actually being able to get into clubs and play these clubs and, and like, you know, drum up local support to come see you play these clubs and that kind of thing and, and you know, that kind of gave us you know, a little bit of, um, you know, chutzpah or whatever you want to call it, you know, and it just, it just, uh, blossomed from there. So I was, at that point I was playing in a band, you know, like it was, uh, like a little trio and I still play a lot with a trio. Um, and, uh, you know, that was like a different iteration of what I'm doing now, just yeah. a different kind of was definitely funkier, you know, more with the, the, the hip hop kind of thing. We, you know, we, we would, play with bands like you know at that time like some of the the bands in the area who were doing like the hip-hop like stretch lefty and and philadelphia slick and like we would do shows with them and uh sometimes they put us on with like a reggae band who like had a rapper in it and like that would like that would kind of kind of do that thing um but it was really like that that era like when you know before all like the the you know the social media where you like literally had to get out there and and kind of impress somebody from a radio station to get these you know these club appearances or like you know promise to the club owner that you can like bring people out and bring, like yeah. then, then then it really became like a situation of like okay you can do it one time you can bring people out one time right you can like you can ask your friends you can hound shit out of them right like you got to come and see you got right you can do that they'll come once maybe you had good friends they'll come twice right yeah maybe. But after a while, if you're still able to continue to play these places, people will still continue to come see you. That like really just gives you the 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 idea that that you have something. Now, whether that something's going to catch fire and become you know something entirely different on the next level, that's that that that's you know remains to be seen. But but that was like what what it was at least for me that kind of opened up that world. Like oh, I can do this. Like I can go out and play. You know, you know I can play shows and stuff. Um, you know, it was kind of that external validation a little bit, you know? Yeah. The, um, yeah, the grape room was always my target whenever I was, uh, whenever I was in, in doing it, um, a while, long time ago, but, uh, <laughs> whenever I was doing it back when I was doing it, that was always the focus where, what, what other, um, area places were you frequenting? Yeah. So we, we played a lot at the North star bar. Um, Missed that place. Uh, yeah, great, great, great club. Um, and we got to open for like a bunch of, really really great acts there um like roots of creation and and and, and like we used to b- book our own bills too like they would let us like put our own bills together and um that was kind of like our one of our home spots but we would play we play world cafe live uh, you know a, a fair share and and um we used to play this place out in uh media called the west end saloon was really a great little spot, little live music club. We used to play the grape, you know, the grape room, grape street, um, depending upon which, you know, which, which iteration. iteration. Was yeah. Um, and then like we would, we would try to get out of the area a little bit. So like we would go up into like, you know, the larder area at, at that time. And then eventually when I came back from Europe and kind of did my solo thing and then like under my own name, 
then I really tried to start push it really hard because I was living in DC. So I was playing, you know, all the way down to like, you know, North Carolina and South Carolina, all the way up to like Maine, trying to like, you know, run as many cities as I could and play as many places as possible. You know, like in New York, we would do, you know, Rockwood Music Hall and in DC, we play at the IOTA, and, you know, try to like, try to get around some decent clubs and open for some folks that would, you know, you know, be, be uh, impressive um, and get us in front of people, you know, and kind of give us the opportunity to do that. Yeah. Um, which is kind of a tricky thing at times. The, but, um, the, the, the trip to Austria and stuff like that, did you get to play over there at all? I did. I played, a, uh, I, it was kind of a weird situation. I got, you know, because I was working at like a school, like, um, studying at the university of Vienna, but also working at this, this local high school, um, or what they call Realschule is a different kind of situation. It's kind of like a school that, that sets you up to do more. Um, um, well, it, it's they, they track their really young there. So like if you're like 12 and you want to be a carpenter, and like that's what you do. Like you go yeah. that route. Like you decide at a very young age. So this was like a this was like a high school that had kind of different tracks inside of it. So I was teaching there, and and the music teacher found out that I played. And he asked me to come play for like their their local con like their you know Christmas concert whatever they called it like the holiday concert. Um, so I came out and I I played like one of my songs and I think I want I think I played Stepping Stones right back back to G right I played that song yeah. too like, like let's people know where I was from you know and 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 uh, like no one in Europe had heard that song no one knew that song like sorry G but you know like in Austria he probably has a fan base but they didn't know that song right but like the the music teacher was like wow okay didn't see that coming so then they, they had they put me on the um um they had this thing called the Donau Inselfest which is like the actually the largest outdoor co- um concert in the world um, and it's over like multiple days, like at, you know, this big thing. So I was on this one side stage, you know, curated by this, this high school, um, music teacher who actually has a, a whole long, crazy story of his, of his own. He's like a, a, a world renowned, um, uh, flautist, right? So really? he's a really great, you know, flute player, jazz stuff and, and, and whatnot. But I played for this this thing, but it, it wasn't as cool sounding as it might be. Although I did get to see Nana play after that, which was cool. Hearing nice. Luftballons in the original, you know what I mean? You know, and this was like in two thousand four or whatever. So like, you know, this this was after her career, but it was still cool to see her like up there jamming, you know. But it was it was fun. It was a uh, yeah. I got to, I got to play at that. That was like my one, well one of one of my couple you know gigs. That was like yeah, all right. That's awesome. That's <laughs> awesome. Um, so one of the things uh, that I noticed, you know, you, you, you released a few albums um, and then now you're like a single guy, um, singles yeah. and EPs. Um, so this is a conversation that comes up so much on this podcast uh, that I, I love just getting everybody's kind of perspective on it. Um, do you, do you, or do you see an album in your future again, or, or are you just kind of like happy being able to release as you're kind of putting things together? Yeah, so I mean, some some people get to the point where, like, after they've said something, right? Like, like once you put a record out, like you've put eight songs, ten songs, twelve songs, whatever it might be, into into this thing, right? Then the natural follow up to that is like do something shorter, right? Because you've yeah. expended that huge amount of energy. I did like three albums in a row, um, in quick succession, like from between like like a four year thing, I put three things out, and you know, we did well. We like sold out of them all. You know, like we, like we, we, you know, we, we, 
we we played on those records like we we were able to to move them and people love them um but i found that as the music industry has started to change you know and like this is like kind of like the middle of that of like the 20 teens right where like people were stopping like the purchase of physical cds as often right they were getting music from different places um and that's when i was like you know if i put you know new stuff out like i don't want it to be um a record where they where i have to spend years producing this one thing you know because the way the attention span is now you know, and I fall in that same category. I, I struggle with it myself. Is that you're better off, in my personal opinion, putting out you know snippets of stuff. And maybe I'm contributing to the problem. I don't know. Um, but even like the the diehard music fans that I know don't sit down and listen to a record straight through anymore. Like it's less. The vinyl thing has been weird, right? Returning to vinyl that has put people back in that mindset of listening to yeah. records again. So I'll say this much. I do foresee putting out EPs in my future. Um, if I do put out a full length record, it will be vinyl. You yeah. Know, like I have one thing on vinyl, but it's a, it's a 45. So it's an A side and a B side, you know, like that kind of thing. And um, I, I do like those kind of, those kind of snippets because it lets me kind of wear different hats, you know, where like, you know, this record is, is kind of this vibe, right. It has this particular feel to it. And, you know, um, I, I like trying to work with different producers, you know, and, and that to me allows different sounds to come out, you know? So like, for example, the, the, the record I'm talking about, the, the vinyl, uh, by Jason Bachman in the city who plays in a couple bands and does a lot of hip hop stuff himself, um, under the name of Johann Sebastian, that's like his hip hop name, um, and so that record has a certain feel to it, a certain vibe to it. We've recorded it in a very specific time frame, you know, after spending, you know, a couple of years playing together, you know, on the road, um, you know, here and there, different kinds of, you know, bars and clubs and whatever. Um, so that has a certain feel, you know. I did it one the same year, actually, down in D.C. with a producer named uh, Ken Barnum at Bias Studios. And that has its own feel to it too. It's got like a, you know, a Nashville kind of vibe and, and sheen to it. Right. And it's like hired guns. You know, I, I bring them in for the studio, they play. So a different feel, right. It's, I'm not even like playing the solos on it, you know, which is like a, an odd thing for me. I mean, I think I still play a little bit on, you know, I mean, I play my own instruments stuff like that, but like, it's not, doesn't focus on me, yeah. which is kind of a nice thing at times. You don't have to be the, the sole doer you know you can kind of rely upon other people to do things and you know so i i i like that element you know and and putting out singles allows me to do like weird quirky things you know like you know, like that or like that ep like the the i'm talking about down in dc called the bad guy ep right and it's got all these like quirky songs about being a bad guy right like you know or songs about bad guys and this is before billy eilish by the way so yeah 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 keep that in mind um you know, uh, so yeah, I, I like I like the singles because I like I said it's, it it reminds me more of like that music video thing, right? Back to that kind of conversation, like it can stand alone yeah. as its own thing, you know. And and 
the other side of the coin, you know, and I'm sure other artists have mentioned this to you, you know, on the on the, the podcast, is that you know, doing a studio album is like a huge expense. You know, and I am categorically opposed. Hear me out on this one. Opposed to things like at least for, for my the stuff I'm creating, like Kickstarter and GoFundMe. I oh, have real yep. I've got real, real issues with it. And and it's not because I don't want to take people's money. Like I, or like or I feel that it's some kind of weird thing. My worry is this. I take your money and what I wind up recording in the studio is shit. You know what I mean? And now what do I do? I send you this record that sounds terrible. I'd rather put the money out up front myself and then assure you that what I'm selling to you is worth the amount of money I'm selling it to you for. Or if I'm going to tell you it's good or it's the best thing I've done, I literally mean it. My worry is if you take the money up front, do you still have to claim it's the best thing you've done? And I hear you. And like, you know, I've supported some people through like GoFundMe's and things. And I'm not going to name any names or anything like that, you know. But sometimes, more often than not, the projects don't get completed. You never get the stuff that you were promised. Unfortunately, yep. I mean, and maybe it's books. So maybe it's maybe it's my poor choice, right? I'm like, you know, <laughs> I I, uh, I I support the wrong folks. I don't know. Yeah, but yeah. but the issue is is like you know, I want to make sure that if I'm putting something out there. You know, I'm giving it my seal of approval. Like it's all well and good for you to have, you know, to approve it. I hope you approve it. I want you to love it as much as I do. But if you love it before you've heard it, that's like what was it? Is, is it Henry Ford or or Thomas Edison used to take his his prospective employees out to, to lunch, and they would have like a meal together, and anybody who salted and peppered their food before they tasted it would immediately be disqualified from the job. This is the way I feel about. Go fund me, right? Because like you're funding a record you haven't heard. Yeah. And the other way around for me is the way I want it to be. I want I want to sign off on it, right? Because if it's not as good as I want it, I don't want to put it out. And maybe that's the reason why when I support people, I don't always see the product because they're not as happy with it as they could be. I'd rather go and spend the money on it and and take the chance myself before ever taking somebody's pennies. You know, this way I know what I'm giving. I know what I'm selling is is a worthy product, right? So, like, in order to do a record, like, you need a shitload of money these days. Yeah. You know? And so, for me, like, trying to grind it out, doing, you know, you know um, shows to help pay for the record, it's much easier to put out a single where I can, you know, I can spend a couple grand or whatever I need to spend, you know, on a specific, you know, single song. And this way, you know, I can kind of encapsulate its own thing. It's got its own vibe. And I don't have to worry about spending 30 grand or 40 grand on a record, you know, that in all reality these days doesn't get the amount of plays that you need it to to earn that money back. Like, you know, I think, you know, it's probably a product of this, you know, this larger conversation about the music industry that's occurring is that, you know, we're so focused on, single tracks right playlisting right like yeah. spotify this encourages artists to release singles because yeah. you know yeah you might have a great record on your hands but how are you going to be discovered someone's going to put you on a podcast and oh, i'm sorry i'm sorry but not podcast, a, a a a playlist you know and then you're going to have people hear you right and then they're going to yeah. come back to your page and if you have a record maybe they'll listen to it but they might not they might only like that single you know so 
And and you see that happen, right? Like artists who have success with playlisting, they'll you'll see the discrepancy. Like the one song on their on their playlist will have five million hits, and the next closest song has like fifty thousand. Yep. So it's like, hmm, you know, is that is that the record that's really getting people turned on, or is it just that single, right? You know, so to me, it's like the 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 environment that has been created by the music industry currently just really facilitates or or maybe that's the wrong word but maybe it it elicits artists to create singles and to push out snippets you know yeah you know it, it and it, it's true like and it's it's taken me a while to come to terms with it because i'm an album guy like i love to sit with an album and, and 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 get engulfed in it but like you know maybe and um, this is kind of just a reflection of where we are as a society and as consumers and stuff like that. Maybe the album should really be a special event, you know, right. like maybe the album should just be, you know, primarily for, you know, a cohesive thought or something like that or something like, you know, the latest Kendrick Lamar album is, right. like, you know, a great example of like, you know, oh, by the way, uh, in two weeks, I'm going to release just an incredible piece of art, you know, right. like or yeah. something like that. But for the most part, for, you know, and um, uh, Leah Meneker, who was on the show, she kind of put this in my ear and I've been thinking about it a lot since she yeah. said it, is that for an independent artist, an album doesn't necessarily make sense right now. Right. Um, because you, you know, you don't have that draw to kind of make that, make that, um, you know, entire thing stick. Um, yeah. and like you said, playlists, like playlist placement, that's it. I mean, it's more important than radio. It's more important than TV. It's, you know, it that's like it. You, yeah. It seems like you can, you can, you can kind of develop a, a persona just having had a, a couple placements, which is nuts to me, but it, it, it is what it is, you know? Um, I'll have to send you the track that she and I are working on together, actually. Oh, awesome. Yeah, cool. I didn't, I didn't know that you had her on, but I, I should have dug a little deeper into the uh, into the into the archives. Archive, man. But yeah, no, she's she's great. She's producing a track for me right now. So like that's what I mean. Like I can I can work with her while I'm working with Johann Sebastian, while I'm working with this dude down in DC, while I'm working with with um the folks at Gradwell House here in Jersey. Like I, I've got a bunch of pokers in the fire. And the only way I can feel I can do that and make it sound right is that they all have a different vibe. Yeah. So that's the beauty. Like we've talked like negatively about the single. The single can also be really beautiful because for that for that reason you have these little time capsules. Boom, 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 boom. Right. And for someone who has as much of an attention problem as I do, like getting a single done for me is like, all right, I've accomplished something. You know, and so that keeps me doing it. I think. And um, working with people like Leah is like, you know, a breath of, breath of fresh air because like she she approaches it differently than other people I've ever worked with. You know, you know, she's very vocally you know in tune with what she wants to do, you know, whereas other artists want to do like the, the instrumentation far more, you know, or it, it stems from a different place. Like working with her has like taught me different kind of things or I'm learning from her anyways. She's great. Yeah. Uh, so awesome. So awesome. Uh, so the latest single imposter looks at 40 fantastic, yeah. first of all, and, uh, you know, definitely okay. one of those songs that, um, hits home. Um, uh, I have a big question about it. Um, yeah, has, has the high school friend heard the song? You know, I never sent it to him. He hasn't used social media or anything like that. So, and, and, and frankly, uh, we didn't have like a falling out or anything like that, but like, he was working at the at one of the colleges I adjunct at, 
and he was literally a vice president. You oh, know? yeah. Like, and it's like, you know, and he kind of had his shit together, you know, frankly. And, like, I'm still trying to figure it out. And, like, and this, that, like, sitting down with him was, like, I used to, oh, when I would go to his office, like, of course, he had, like, this cushy office on campus. I would always be like, Dr. Ager's here to see, you know, <laughs> this individual. Like, let him know. Like, you know. <laughs> and we would crack up laughing about it. And like, we, you know, we'll always be friends, I think. It's just, I don't want him to feel negative about it because it's not about him, really. It's about me, right? Where yeah. I feel that I should be and where I'm not, you know, or, or you know, maybe that maybe it's the whole facade of us believing we need to be anywhere, Right. And that's maybe what it really comes down to because, you know, the whole imposter syndrome is is just a fallacy anyways, right? Like it's kind of, you know, it's not a real thing. It's a fabricated notion. So he hasn't heard it as far as I know. Um, I should probably text it over to him and be like, hey, you were the inspiration here on this one. But um, I had a couple people, other people ask me similar questions. But, yeah, no, I haven't I haven't had the balls, frankly, or the yeah. – or the, or the gumption or whatever you want to call it. To, I was curious. Uh, I was curious specifically um, um, uh, if his wife has heard it. Um, so. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I met his wife one time. I don't even, it just, it rhymed. Really it, rhymed. Rhymed. it was like I know, one of those situations where I was like, Oh, this worked. And like, and like how else to like express that? Like, like, you know, this guy's got everything. That's what I was yeah. trying to say. Like this, no, I get it. <laughs> he's got the job. He's got the, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. <laughs> I understand writing. I'm just <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't want to make her feel uncomfortable. Right? Yeah. No. It, it's a it's it's a great song, and like I said, man, it it, it definitely hits um, a feeling uh, that I'm sure a lot of people are very familiar with. Um, it, and uh, uh, is the um, is the Jimmy Buffett similarity in the title? Is oh yes, intentional. Okay, yeah, it's very intentional. I, I love that song that of his. You know, uh, Pirate Looks at Forty. And when I sat back and wrote that song, like I had other titles for it and everything, but I was like, that song, you know, it says so much, you know, like about, about where we belong in time and place like, like that. Imagine being born someplace else, right? At a different time. Like, you know what I mean? And like we, a lot, I think a lot of us feel out of place at times. Like we feel that's the reason why we have, you know, movies like, you know, What's you know like the, any any western you think of right from yeah. hate, hateful eight to you know unforgiven or whatever you know the reason we have period films is because I think a lot of us feel like we belong in different eras and I think that's a feeling that that has existed forever you know you know w- you know Woody Allen talks about it in Midnight in Paris right where you have the main character wishing he was in the twenties right in Paris yeah. and then when they you know they the the girl he meets in the twenties. Which is she was in the nineties, eighteen nineties, right? The Findus Ekla, right? Of that, of that, you know, confluence of ideas. I think we all kind of vibe with that, you know. And and when I thought about what I was trying to say in the song, like that imagery of his, like being born too late for your purpose. Or just not being in the right place, it just felt like it dovetailed so nicely with with like the imposter syndrome, right? Like people look at you and expect a certain thing because you're either a certain age or you appear to have it together or you have, you know, three little letters behind your name. 
You know what I mean? Like people think you got it together, you know, and it, I, I don't think we ever have it together, you know, like, yeah, you know, it's something that we, um, and maybe that's just my personal perspective because I don't, but, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like we all kind of, whether we acknowledge it or not, we're kind of, you know, we're kind of like dancing around tectonic plates over top of a bunch of lava. Like, like if you start thinking about where we are in the universe and, you know, like it's just, it's it mind boggling, right? Like to anybody ever feels really at home in one spot. I don't care how, successful they are whatever they i i bet you that people feel that way and that's kind of when i saw that or i wrote this song and i was like you know i want to i want to kind of reference that that feeling of not being in the right spot or or feeling like you're not in the right spot and so yeah that 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 reference was intentional i'm so glad you caught it too because a lot of people a lot of people don't get that you know so it, it you know I think I write songs that you might appreciate. <laughs> you definitely do. You definitely do. I I, uh, I very much enjoyed making my way through your catalog. Um, oh, that's cool, man! Stuff. It's been it's been really awesome. Well, you want to go through the jauntlet? You want to you want to hit these would, hot questions? I would love to. In fact, I I thought about a couple of them because you sent me over that the the list earlier. And I was like, you know, I didn't get a chance to think about everyone yeah, sure. exclusively, but I thought in depth about a lot of them. They're good questions. Cool. Cool. Well, we'll start with the one hit wonders, uh, Billy Joel or Elton John, who you got? So I'm kind of partial to Billy Joel. Yeah. Um, uh, only because, um, I feel like the Brits have enough, you know, when it (laughs) comes to music, they got enough. Yeah. We need to like, you know, support some American artists too. No, but like he, uh, he's got this one song called Vienna waits for you talking about like finding your place right like that song i don't know if you've ever heard it but it's like oh the lyrics like you know slow down you crazy child you're most too ambitious for a juvenile like there's this place in the world that waits for you and it's vienna austria so i lived in vienna and like ever since i've heard that song like i just i think i appreciate him more than ever and plus if you if you've heard some of the other songs like bottle of red bottle of white like that genius right like yeah absolutely i I think I'm, i'm a billy joel guy I love it. Uh, next one, Debbie Harry or Joan Jett? Joan Jett, man, all the way. Hometown, hometown. I love rock and roll, man. Definitely. Uh, Aretha Franklin or Tina Turner? Aretha Franklin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's one of the ones that I'm going to have to replace. Like, everybody picks Aretha. Harry likes Aretha. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the big one, uh, one of the big ones, Nirvana or Pearl Jam? Pearl Jam. Yeah? Pearl yeah. Jam. yeah. Um, I mean, I appreciate Nirvana. I love Nirvana for what they were, but like, and, and this isn't a bad thing. I just, I don't know how, at least for me anyways, I don't know how well their music has aged. Like mm-hmm. it was very much time capsule for that era, you know? And I know a lot of artists are like covering their music now. Like even, what's his face? Sturgill Simpson did that In Bloom cover. And there's a bunch of covers out there of like reimaginings of these songs. They still feel like, you know, Nirvana songs and like that, quintessential angst about existence right yeah in many ways that and this isn't a negative thing it just hasn't aged as well as some pearl jam songs i feel like have aged um and this is also due to the fact that obviously we lost you know that poet you know um tragically you know i feel like eddie vetter's had a had a chance to really to expand his writing like if you've listened to like even the solo stuff he's done, but also like the later albums, like the fixer, like, like some of those records, like the songs on those records, you know, or, 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 you know, 
um, just really allowed him to 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 blossom. I think as an artist, like he's saying things that are profound, you know, in ways that not that Kurt Cobain didn't do that. I just I I feel like just perhaps it's the breadth of material and the sheer excellence of that breadth. Yeah, right, that makes me just really appreciate Pearl Jam. Plus, my wife's a huge fan. If I said Nirvana, I don't know if I have a place to sleep tonight. That's it. Yeah, now it makes sense. Now it makes sense. It's now, like her, one of her bucket list things. Like we gotta go see Pearl Jam. I was like, oh, oh, we'll make yeah. it happen. <laughs> I've only ever seen them once, and it was um, at the Spectrum. Uh, that not oh, the very wow. last night, but the night before they uh, played the last show there, and it was oh, it was no, absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. No, they're so great. You know, you know what it is, and it took me a very long time to because I'm a Pearl Jam guy myself in this yeah. question. And and what it is for me is that, and and it took me a long time to recognize. Um, I just can't get emotionally invested in Kurt Cobain's lyrics, which are right. brilliant, but they're not they're not emotional to me. Like I can't, I just can't get in there. Whereas like Eddie Vedder has some lines that'll just you know, if I hear him on the wrong day, will send me down a spiral. You know, like, right, right. Um, so that's, yeah, I, I totally get it. Like, um, um, you know, Nirvana changed music, but, um, yeah, Pearl Jam. No, I agree. You know, I agree. I mean, yeah, I, in, in terms of like, if I had to pick the poet, you know, it would definitely be Eddie Vedder, you know? Yeah. And like, yeah, I mm-hmm. like, even like after like a couple days ago, the tragedy, like, you know, like I hear that glorified G song and it's like, Ugh. come on, how, more perfect of a song that we have to express this notion like you know oh yeah so you know yeah i agree there's emotional i have emotional connection with pearl jam you know that that i perhaps i don't feel the same way for nirvana too much of it and the other part is that too much of it's wrapped up in that in the tragedy surrounding yeah kirk cobain's life too where it's like you know you you read things differently i mean that kind of stigma attached to it perhaps um, not that I don't love Nirvana, I do, but I think yeah. if you know if the choice was there, I'd probably listen to Pearl Jam first. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, next one, Janis Joplin or Stevie Nicks? Oh, this was a tough one for me, man, because I I really loved like when I was growing, my my sisters and stuff loved Janis Joplin. Like they're like they were like they were like, yo, listen to Janis Joplin, listen. To like, All right, cool, and like I dug it, um, and. Yeah, this is a tough one because I love her voice too. It's so raw and real. Um, and not that Stevie Nicks is not, um, but I think I have to go with Janice. Like, I just, I, I love it, you know? Now, that being said, you know, there are so many songs that Stevie Nicks sang that were, uh, they're just like perfect. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, if it's all the rumors album and she's singing it, it's like a, a song in perfection. Like, you know, she perfected like rock singing, right? Yeah. She did. You know, and the thing I like about the Janice stuff is that there's so much rawness, you know, you know, definitely, definitely. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, Janice. Excellent. Uh, The big one. This is the big one. Beatles or the Stones. This is what I thought about long and hard. You know, I love both. I do. I really do. And the way I wanted to answer this question was that it depends upon what I'm trying to get out of it. Okay. Or let's let's put way. When I when I think about the Beatles, right? Like this is what music could be. Right? Like the po- like when I think of the Beatles, it's like the possibility of music. Right? When I think about songwriting and stuff like that, that's what I think of, right? 
Beatles are the possibility, right? But the Stones are reality. You know what I mean? Possibility versus reality. The Rolling Stones are real. You know what I mean? And any given day, I might I might choose to listen to a Beatles song because of the perfection, because of the inspiration that's there. But invariably, when I write a song and I perform it out live, it's probably a hell of a lot closer to, yep. to the Rolling Stones. And that's probably why I, you know, um, you know, think of them in different worlds. Like people love to make that comparison. I think it's a fair one to make, right? Because they're same era, same country, you know, like same same circle of people, more or less. Um but they but they have such entirely different trajectories, you know? Like yeah. one's blues based, right? The other one is pretty much, and I, this is the way someone explained it one time, the Beatles are responsible for indie rock. I the Stones it. are responsible for like, you know, everything else. <laughs> you know, like the yeah. rock is, exists elsewhere, right? And so many people emulate the Beatles. They want to be like the Beatles, but I feel like so many people wound up being more like the Stones. Just because they're real, man. Like they're they're like a bunch of buffoons on stage, like just like, you know, drinking and causing trouble and like, you know, we all want to be the Beatles, but we tend to be the Stones more often. You know what I mean? Like, like that's yeah. that's that's kind of the way I want to answer that question, you know? I like it. It's perfect. It's perfect. It is true too. It's like it's like the idea of um uh who I, who I aspire to be versus who I am, you know? Right, like, exactly. Yeah. And we all look they were able to achieve things that I don't think anyone will ever fully understand. So how many documentaries need to be made about right. the Beatles, you know? Um, but the Rolling Stones are still doing it. They're still rocking. You know, they're still they're still playing those songs. They're still, you know, doing their thing, you know? I mean, I know they're down a member now, but, you know, sure. it's it's still, still the Stones, you know what I mean? The Beatles, it was like, Lightning in a bottle, you know what I mean? Yeah. They caught it for a few years, but even by the end, they couldn't stand each other, you know? So it was like, holy cow. But then you have the Stones who are still like playing together, you know? You know, Keith's still trying to beat away, you know, attackers of, of Mick, you know, would be attacker. You ever see that video? Uh huh. Like, yeah, he like smacks a dude with his guitar and it goes right back in the next chord. <laughs> it's like, the best. What a cool, like, like that's, 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 you know, that's not perfection. That's like reality. You know what I mean? Like you have this great show set up, you have everything planned, and next thing you know, you're getting bum rushed by some crazy fan on, you know, like or you know whatever, or like even like their experience with the with you know the the Hell's Angels at Altamont, right? Mm-hmm. The Beatles at that festival, right? The Stones were there. They were playing. You know, like they were they were with the people. You know, like that's kind of way I see that world. I digress. I'm sorry. No, it's perfect. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Uh, the last one hit wonder: Bohemian Rhapsody or Stairway to Heaven? This is an easy one for me. Definitely Bohemian Rhapsody all yeah. the way. You know, growing up playing piano, you know, was like that was one of the songs that I loved to play. You know, and like. I used to be able to do like the whole solo too, like even on the piano. Like I, I love. I spent time with that song. Um, you know, "Stairway" has its place. It does, but any given day, man, I'll listen to "Bohemian Rhapsody." You know, definitely. That song never gets old for me. Like, there's just so much in there. You know, from like Brian May's playing to Freddie Mercury singing to the to the to the piano playing and like the 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 full orchestral voices in the background like it's just it's it's nuts you know and and you know stairway has this thing 
but at the end of the day, it's it's like kind of the same thing, right? It's yeah. Like, it's the band. It's it's Zeppelin. Bohemian Rhapsody talk about like lightning in a bottle. Like that's perfection. You know, it's magic, and, man. It's pure magic. Yeah, exactly. Pure magic. Uh, all right. So the top ten countdown again. Uh, I don't have to tell you this. You are a Jonasaur. Uh, I, I made I made that word up. Um, yeah. I, I have I have my own term for it. I'm 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 actually making T-shirts right now. I'm going to send you one when they're done. It says Random John Generator. I love it. Right. That's that's, that's that's my new uh, that's my new T-shirt coming out soon. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, so uh, you can use John to be anything. It doesn't have to be music. It can be whatever you want. But uh, number one, what was your first John? What was the first thing you were obsessed with when you were younger? Hmm. Oh wow. So my first John was 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 um was the He Man John. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I was like the power of Gray Skull all the time, man. Like I just love that cartoon. Like you know, later in life, now looking back on, it, it's kind of cringeworthy. But <laughs> man, man, the power of Gray Skull was my John. Would you say it was cringeworthy? worthy okay get out here I'm making, <laughs> I'm making stupid he-man puns now no i love t-man i was a big fan and yeah, yeah. um i love you it's awesome uh number two what's your current john what are you into right now oh my current john uh i i okay i found this this i didn't find i mean i, I came across this um this writer her name's Susanna clark um she wrote this book called um Piranesi. And I just read it, and like it's just, it blew my hair back. It was really like a, a fascinating thing, and I've been like reading her other novel, which is like a thousand pages. I'm like, Whew. but that's like my the the recent John I've been really into is this this novel she wrote, Piranesi. It's it's really really cool. Um, yeah, that and like the singles that I've been putting out, like I've been really digging into doing like different vibes. You know, like I said, working with these different producers you know that's kind of been my my current job those two things like trying to dig back into literature again for like a pure pleasure sense yeah enjoying it for myself and i think it connects to doing like music to like getting to the point where i'm creating music for me you know fine not finally but like i'm i'm finally getting comfortable with the fact that i'm creating stuff again for myself you know i spent a lot of time there trying to create stuff that other people would like mm-hmm. you know and and now I'm like creating songs that I think are great. I really think I'm writing the best stuff in my life, you know, I'm, and putting out the best sounding stuff I've ever done. And, you know, it's like finding that book, right? It's, it's like rediscovering what possibility could be and rediscovering like a love for literature and art and, and music and, and beauty, you know? It's beautiful. As I, I get it. uglier, you know what I mean? The older we, you know. I'm appreciating beauty again. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I definitely hear you there. Uh, number three, what was your first concert? Oh, yeah, it's a good one. So, like, my first unaccompanied concert was uh, was Rusted Root. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Where at? The Electric Factory. Oh, that's awesome. It was funny. It was, like, I think it was 98. Yeah, 98. And... uh Oh, I love the place so much. I wound up buying tickets like for a couple other shows that year, like seeing bands at the Electric Factory. I thought it was great. Like you know, um, retrospectively, it might not have been the greatest sounding place at times, but you know, whatever. Um, the vibe was always cool there. I remember I had tickets to see G Love on Y2K, right? And I wound up not going. 
Really? Because everyone was so freaked out. Like, we didn't know what was going to uh, happen or anything. Like, and, you know, the better angels in my life kind of convinced me that maybe you should just kind of keep it low key, you know, and stay around and party and do, you know, I, I will regret to the day I die not going to that show. Yeah, I, <laughs> you know I mean, it would have been a blast. But I yeah, bet. no, I decided not to. But anyways, yeah, my first one, Rusted Root. That was my first official concert. Like one I bought my own tickets for. My parents weren't in attendance, you know, that kind of thing. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, n- number four, what was your last concert? What was the last live show you went to? This is tricky because like, you know, I'm sure this is the same way that other artists answer too because they're out playing so much themselves. Yep. Like it's hard to see other artists. That being said, I went and I played tuba for a guy um uh his name is justin trey he's a friend of mine from dc um he was opening for um tony luca oh nice yes at the the city winery so i sat in on tuba for a song or, or so with this this buddy of mine who was opening for tony luca so i saw tony's show afterwards and i was like that was pretty amazing he's a phenomenal singer songwriter um you know, just don't ask him about the whole, you know, Musketeer phase. Of his ma- life. Yeah, exactly. Don't want to talk about that. <laughs> no, I, I, we didn't talk about that. But um, uh, he's a really cool guy. We got to hang out in the green room, green room with him. That was really awesome. The last like big badass show I saw though was um, Roger Daltrey with Simon Townsend, um, Pete's brother, uh, doing the entirety of Tommy. Wow! At the Man Center. Like this was right before the pandemic. I think it was 2019, and that show blew my hair back. I didn't realize how much I loved that record. I, that was a record I never owned. I never owned that record. But then I, I, I listening to it, I'm like, I know all these songs. It's amazing. Yep. Like, and he played it. I'm talking from top to bottom. Like it was like like it was on the record. Like you know. And again, I didn't have the record, but like it was, it was it was orchestral. It was the whole thing. I had a friend who was playing. Um, uh, the violin in the the Philly Pops sat in with them that night, and she just played with him again recently, like last week when he was wow, in Philly. Wow, when they were but, yeah, but she was on stage with him, you know, at the Man Center. So we like got to go and see her play with Roger Daltrey, and dude, he's still swinging the microphone around like a madman. He takes his shirt off, and damn it, he's like eighty years old. He looks better than I do with his shirt off. You know what I mean? Like he is ripped. You know, like he's like doing his thing, swinging a microphone, deaf in one ear. You know, like it's, it's yeah, you know, he's. He's a he's a wild man. Um, I don't particularly love his politics, but damn, he still puts a great show on. It's awesome, so yeah. cool. Yeah, I love those dudes. They're, they're the best. Like yeah, the, the Who, the who is like one of my all time. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, number five. What's your favorite concert? What was the best show you ever been to? Neil Young. Yeah. Uh, what what year? I saw Neil Young. I think it was twenty. Uh, I want to say it was like 2011 or 20. No, it had to be like 20, 2013, maybe. Um, okay. He was playing solo acoustic at the uh, Academy of Music here in Philly. Wow. Dude, it was phenomenal. Like, you could hear a pin drop. Well, first of all, the Academy of Music, they expect you to be, you know, it's a listening room, anyways. But like 2,500 people or more, whatever that number is, I think it's around that number that it holds like just enwrapped in what he was doing. And it was the weirdest surreal thing. Cause he would play like these weird, you know, political songs of his about saving the seeds of the earth and yada, yada, like on this bizarre organ he brought in and like he had three pianos on stage, like a slew of guitars and he would get up from his seat, 
walk around and like kind of pet the guitars on top of their head, like the headstocks, until he like found one that like spoke to him. <laughs> and he would pick it up and they sit down and play a song. Like and and I've seen artists in their like later years, like Bob Dylan, for example. I love Bob Dylan, but just don't go see him live. He's just right. he plays shit that you don't want to hear. And like not that I don't want to hear new Bob Dylan songs. I do. But I think you owe it to your own catalog to play things that people appreciate. You know, like, you know, how can you turn your back on songs that were so good to you? Yeah. You know, kind of like that that whole thing that, you know, in that movie Crazy Heart. He talks about that, you know, I can't turn my back on it. It's been too good to me, that song. You know, like, Bob Dylan turns his back on it. And God bless him, he's an artist. You know what? He just not the artist I would choose to see today. You know what I mean? Like, but Neo, man, he played the weird new shit, but he also honored the catalog too. Like he knew how to entertain. That was the big thing. Like he was an entertainer through and through. Right. And of course it's a Philly crowd. Right. So even in the cat music, they're like, like he's like walking around and like someone yelled out to him at some point, like, what about this artist? And he's like, oh, yeah, I know that guy. We, we, we play together. <laughs> or like, it must've been like a, like David Crosby question or something. He was like, yeah, oh, David and I go way back, whatever. And then someone was like, yeah, what about John Lennon? And he goes, what about him? Yeah. And I was like, damn, that's Neil Young right there. That's Neil Young in like his own like ugh, that was like it encapsulated everything that was Neil Young like I don't give a damn about anybody besides like like that was to me like like Dylan's a true artist right but Neil Young kind of like was able to acknowledge his fan base as mm-hmm. well as offering you his new artistry and for that I just really think is one of the greatest shows I ever saw Close second would be when I saw Galactic at the Electric Factory and G Love came out and rapped with Galactic. Like, I, I, like I've been a, a G fan forever, right? And of course, he comes out and he, like, he breaks into part of Recipe, you know, that song of his? Yeah. Right? Yeah. He starts doing it and I'm like rapping along with him. I'm like, yeah. No. And everyone's like, you know this song? I'm like, oh, get the hell out of here. You don't know this song. <laughs> like, uh, it was, that was a really cool moment as well. But yeah, top, top show, Neil Young. At the academy music it was fantastic. Perfect answer. Uh, number six, uh, who's an artist you've never seen live that you wish you would have? They can be living or dead. Hmm. That's a tough one. It's a very tough one. I, I want to say Prince. Like I love Prince. At the same time, I wonder if I'd be cool enough to even go to a Prince show. You know what I'm saying? Because Prince yeah. is like cool, cool. You know what I mean? Like that. That would have been, yeah, Prince would like be up there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it would be him. Although, to be honest, like I think if I could have seen like Biggie in like the early '90s when he was like top of his game, like just to be in the room while he was flowing the way he would do, like you know, I imagine that must have been transcendent. Like, you yeah. Know what I mean? You know, like I still hands down, he's my favorite rapper. Like, like you know, forget about the whole East Coast West Coast stuff. Like, just hands down, just the best flow ever. Yeah, you know, and you know that would have been cool to see him like early days, like when he was just figuring it out. You know, like had some of those like hits that were about to be hits. You know, and that kind of thing. Yeah, that would have been friggin' amazing. 
You know, again, I wonder if I'd be cool enough to be in the room. But <laughs> you said it could be living or dead. It could be, you know, yeah, no, hypothetical. No. <laughs> I love it versus the reality, right? I love it. Uh, n- number seven, uh, name an unappreciated John. Something you wish uh, more people paid attention to. Um, I wish there were some like, you know, more appreciation of certain movies. And for example, the replacements, man, like the 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 Shane Falco, man, come on, Footsteps Falco, like that that movie's a fantastic movie, and there's like not a lot of love for it out there. I think it's a great great film. Like it, it just, is purely it, underrated. That movie is phenomenal. <laughs> I agree with that 110. percent Like you know what I mean, and like. You know, you had like John Favreau in there, and like you know, just a, a killer lineup. Gene Hackman, like it's a great sports film, and I think you're right; it gets ignored when we talk yeah. about like great films. So, like, I think there's like some some unappreciated films that I would like. One of them, top of my list, right next to that film, is The Cable Guy. So good, Cable Guy. It's so good. In terms of like pure social commentary, might be one of the greatest films of all time. Yeah, you know I mean? like talking about. And this is before we like got into the internet era. You know what I mean? Like, it was so ahead of its time. Thinking about where we would be as people, like, like just glued in, tuned in all the time, twenty four seven. You know what I mean? And like obsessed with the news cycle. Like, we're obsessed with the news cycle right now. You know, um, it was like prescient, but it was also really ahead of its time. You know what I mean? And and yeah, that that that's an unappreciated John. Definitely, John. Definitely, hands down. Uh, number eight. What's your favorite album? Ooh, that's a tough one too, man. Favorite album? Yeah, man, that's hard. It's like, you know, I feel like that dude Rob in, uh, in High Fidelity, you know, it's like, you know, for a home or a club or, you know, yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a tricky thing, right? Why not make you mixtape? No, I'm just like, it, it's, it's, it's difficult. Like if I think about, you know, some of the things, so recent, how about I do a recent favorite album? Perfect. Works. really been like that, that in the past few years has like, you know, blown my hair back. Um, um, I think, damn. By Kendrick Lamar, that that record, um, I think that one really. I'm still trying to figure it out. Yeah, you know what I mean. With like DNA on it, like that song, or 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 Duckworth, like it just there's so much to that record that every time I listen to a song, it's like it's really eye opening. You know what I mean? And like what's happening, not just lyrically but musically. It's tra- it's it's from a different place. It's transcendent. Like talk about like you know art. Like that's yeah. an art album. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, and it still slaps. You know what I mean? Like, and that's that's the amazing part about it. Like you know, there's still uh, it's it's a beautiful thing. So that's there's one of my favorite records recently. I think there's just no one on his level. Like there's just no one on his level right now. Like yeah, no, it, absolutely not. I don't know if anyone's ever been on his level. Like, like I said, I, my favorite rapper of all time is Biggie, but I mean, has it ever been a rapper like Kendrick Lamar? I no. don't think so. Yeah. It's like, yeah. it's, it's this, yeah, I, I, I can't even begin to understand it. It's, it's that, it's that complex at times. Right. While at the same time, it can be very base. It can be mm-hmm. very like, you know, very visceral, you know what I mean? But 
simultaneously ethereal. It's like, yeah, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. So that's that's been a favorite record, you know, in the past few years. I know it's kind of now with a new record out. It's kind of hard to say that it's a new record, but no, forgive me. The, the, awesome. the new record, the new new record is like only what a month old. So yeah, I get forgiven. On that you, one. You, you get a pass. You get a pass. <laughs> uh, number nine, name an artist whose output you'll consume anything they release. Yeah, I think we talked about this. Yep. I mean, I, I, G is one of those characters, you know. That you know, not that he can do no wrong, you know. Right. Um, I don't love everything, but I'll 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 definitely consume it. You know, I I definitely want to be on that that uh that train. You know? Yeah. So totally. I mean, there are others too. You know, like um, Tom Petty was like that for me too. Like even his later stuff. Like I've really just bought into everything he did you know what i mean like his whole persona you know be it traveling wilburys or or the solo stuff or the heartbreakers or stuff he wrote for other people like it, that was one of those characters that i could kind of always just vibe with you know so, yeah yeah i uh, i was just talking to someone the other day like he's one of those people who i consistently forget is dead like yeah uh, that's I, it's 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 a, and it bums me out every single time i remember like i'm like ah fuck right like yeah yeah i i i'll say i try to emulate g like i really did and a lot of the things that i did musically you know even playing with a trio you know kind of like emulated what he was doing um because i appreciated what he did so much um but the reason i write music might be because of tom petty like he might be that reason like just that that very young age like borrowing that record from my brother that full moon fever like you know, and then digging into his earlier stuff and then following him for the rest of his career. That was a great yeah. show too. I saw I saw him, but for another time. It's awesome. It's in the DNA. Just, right. Just tying it back to Kendrick. <laughs> this has uh, been a good conversation, man. It's awesome. I love We've it. Gone everywhere. The tenth and final top ten countdown. What is your favorite John of all time? Again, it doesn't have to be music, it can be whatever you want it to be. Favorite John of all time. Man. Like the one thing I always go back to. I think it's guitar, man. Like if I like that's the thing, man. For me, like ever since I got a guitar, man, I always wanted to learn how to play it better and more, you know. And and maybe maybe it's it's corny to say, but like music, man, I just love it. It, it makes me want to create. Isn't that like? Isn't that a great thing? Like something that makes you want to create? Yeah. You know, so that that's for me. Like that's that's my that's my job. Like it's so I want, true I want too. To create stuff. It's so true. If I listen to a good album or if I go to a show or anything like that, like I am immediately like, I need to go home and play because why am I not doing this right. all the time? You know, right, like, right, right. Yeah, no, I think I I think I think a lot of us feel that way, and I think that's a good way to feel, man. I, I you know, to be honest, if more of us were creating stuff instead of breaking stuff, I think we'd be in a better place. You know what I'm saying? Definitely, definitely. Um, yeah. Speaking of creating, so what's next? What's what's on the horizon? You mentioned some more singles that you've been working yep. on. Yeah, actually, I have, I'm actually sitting on two right now. They're completely finished, mixed and mastered. Um, I'm just kind of figuring out what I'm going to do art wise, um, and kind of how I'm how I want to release it. Um, kind of what avenues I want to go through. Uh, but I, yeah, I have two more in the pipeline so like those are being like the one with leah meniker for example that one will be out hopefully later this year 
Um, I'll be in the studio this summer doing like a folk record with a, a fiddle and mandolin player that I play with a lot these days. Very cool. Um, yeah, so a little bit, a little bit different kind of feel. But um, I hang out with a lot of folks uh, from the Folk Song Society, at the Philly Folk Song Society, um, and so I've kind of gotten into that world. It was bizarre because that's kind of where like you know all my world came from. You know, like my dad's appreciation for music and stuff. Just so yeah, I'll be doing that later this summer. Um, so yeah, a lot of a lot of um, recording and releasing. I, mean, I said I said I didn't do anything over the pandemic. I kind of sat back and kind of you know I played you know some gigs here and there and did a couple live streams, but I didn't really put out any music. You know, and I said to myself, twenty twenty two is the year I'm going to get back out there and I'm just going to put out stuff that I love. You know, the things that that I that have been touching me and have been like you know that I've been writing that that feel you know prescient that feel important. You know, and whether it be you know reflections on my own you know situation or they they're more you know um, social commentary, but this year I was like I'm putting out music. That's the thing. Like I'm committing myself to putting music out again. So that's that's what's on the horizon. I'm just going to continue to put stuff out. I'm going to send it over to you whenever I do. Please do. I am I am ready to hear it. Like uh, oh, like I said, it, it's been awesome. Kind of making my way through your catalog. And, oh, you dude, know. I appreciate I appreciate you making your way through it. That's it, uh, it means a lot to me, man. And you know, I uh, it's, it, these days it's always you know having someone spend time with your music is is a a gift because of uh, you know how distracted we can be. You know, it's so sure. easy, it's so easy to get derailed from checking something out so man i appreciate you for that dude i appreciate you having me on the podcast this has been fantastic oh dude, anytime, I, I get, anytime i get talking to somebody who appreciates the same things i appreciate is is a great thing you know i love it so much if anybody wants to find you on the internet or on your uh tell these people your socials and whatnot yeah so it's, uh jasonager.com is the main website um there are links to all my um you know social media there um, if you can't find me at that spot though, it's just, you know, Jason Ager music, whether it's Instagram or Facebook or, um, you know, any of the others, um, or band, you know, uh, bands in town, that kind of thing. You can find me Jason Ager music. Perfect. Thank you so much for doing this, not just for doing Amen. this, but also the music you create and all that. I'm, I'm so, I'm so glad that we got to have this conversation. I'm glad I got a new friend, man. This is fantastic. Yeah, dude. We'll definitely have to stay in touch and I definitely want to make it out. Um, you, you have any live shows coming up? I just did a, a big one last week. It was a songwriter night up in uh, Glenside. Um, I have a, a a concert series show. It's a, a ticketed event up in um, uh, Lambertville. This summer is called the Big Bear Concert Series. I'll be doing that on July 16th. And that's a really great outdoor thing. It's kind of like in like an open field, like uh, out in a really beautiful area of uh, of New Jersey. Um, so that'll be a lot of fun. And I'll be um, every fourth friday of the month i'm playing at this really awesome um distillery here in south jersey called pine tavern um and i'll be doing that with that fiddle player mandolin player bob tangria um uh and uh, we kind of do a lot of original stuff there um a few covers here and there um and then on the second fridays of every month i'm at a place called elk river brewing company in maryland and that is a fantastic fun place to see the full band the trio doing the whole thing doing a lot of originals bunch of covers maybe a g love song here and there you never know um but yes yeah, so I'm, I'm around you can find me out there on the uh the, the stages of the local area i'm, I'm not going to give up man i love it too much 
you know it's awesome that is awesome well thank you so much for doing this and uh, i hope everybody checks your stuff out i hope they do too My thanks again to Jason for joining me on the podcast today. You can catch Jason live on July 16th in Lambertville, New Jersey as part of the Big Bear Concert Series. You can also find him playing every second Friday at the Elk River Brewing Company in Elkton, Maryland, and every fourth Friday of the month at the Pine Tavern Distillery in Monroeville, New Jersey. His latest single, Imposter Looks at 40, is available now on all major music streaming services. And for more information about Jason and links to all of his socials, you can visit www.jasonager.com for more information. If you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to the Yo! That's My John podcast, wherever you get your podcasts from. And the offer still stands. If you would like to get yourself a super awesome John Scout merit badge for citizenship of the world, all you have to do is give us a little rate and review. Don't forget to visit www.yothatsmyjohn.com for articles, merchandise, and links to all of the previous episodes of this podcast. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash yo that's my John for updates and live streams. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Yo That's My John and search Yo That's My John on YouTube to find the Yo That's My John YouTube channel. We got all kinds of good stuff up there, so like and subscribe the heck out of that ish. We want to hear from you. Reach out, reach out, and touch some John. Well, that is it for this week. As I said, we will be back next week on our regular schedule. Oh, yeah. Back-to-back weeks with episodes coming out. You are very welcome. Great stuff coming up on the horizon, so be sure to come on back and watch that sunrise with me. Blue skies, until next time, everybody. Hey, yo, displace the guilt and embrace the pleasure. Your taste in music doesn't have to be... Yo, That's My John is a Lonely Monk production written and produced by yours truly, Nate Runkle. Theme song by Phil Tyler Music featuring Nate 3.0. Special thanks to Fox Run Brands, DX Ferris, Andrew Scott, Natalie Runkle, and the incredibly brilliant and wickedly stunning Katie Daubney. If you or anyone you know has any ideas they would like to share or any guests they would like to hear on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to us at yo that's my john at gmail.com. Or you can leave an audio message for us and possibly hear yourself on a future episode by visiting anchor.fm slash ytmj slash message. Until next time, be sure to displace the guilt and embrace the pleasure and shout to the world, yo, that's my John. Yo, that's my John.